Well, it's special to uh, be able to gather on first day of the year together, yeah? So it's a wonderful treat. Look forward to six years from now, we can do it again. <laughs> so uh, I, I, maybe we start with this phrase. Tell me, tell me what you think about this phrase. Do you agree with it, disagree? Do you think it's overstated? Uh, let's, uh, the phrase goes like this. God's people need God's word to grow spiritually healthy. Or let's say it a little bit differently. Uh, followers of Jesus must cultivate consistent reading of the scriptures if they are to be stable in this unstable world. It's, it's a must. If you want stability in this unstable world, consistent Bible intake is a must. Or let's state it uh, differently uh, using a picture. Just as the body requires food for survival, in health, in the same way, too, the Christian's soul requires regular drinking from the nourishment of God's word if we are to be strong in faith, enduring in hope, abundant in wisdom, if we are to display the fruits of the Spirit. In the same way, the body requires food for health, in the same way the Christian's soul requires regular Bible intake if, if we are to be strong in faith and life. Or if, if we say it kind of in a different direction, kind of talk about the lack of it. Here's uh, John Piper, once a uh, pastor, uh, once, once said, I don't think you have the chance of a snowball in hell to be holy if you don't meditate on the word of God a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what do you think about that? I mean, my guess is that nobody here, or most people here, aren't going to reject it outright. I mean, it, it's, we, we sort of know this intuitively, right? And we know it experientially, that we need God's word if we are going to be strong. We need it regularly. You know, we don't, just like as food, we don't eat, you know, gorge ourselves today and then expect that somehow our body's going to disperse all the nutrients over the course of the next three weeks. It's a regular daily eating of food in the same way that's, that's how God intends that we would regularly bring our hearts under the word of God and say, feed me once again, Lord. I need another meal today. Yeah? In the same way that the body needs food, our souls uh, need uh, food. Uh, I should just give a quick disclaimer as we talk about this today. Uh, this is an important one, so we just get it out on the table right away. Uh, that Bible reading never has and never will ever make someone right with God. Right? It will never cause God to like you more. The gospel alone can do that. The Bible reading does not have that kind of power. That's not the purpose of Bible reading. If, if we become people that read the scriptures every day, all of us, God is not going to look at us and say, wow, I really like those people now. We are adored by God and welcomed into the family of God and loved by God forever and always only because of the blood of Christ on our behalf. That's it. Right? Nothing else. We, we don't add anything to that. So what, what Bible reading, though, is, is meant to be, it's, it's a, it's a God-ordained gift to us to help us grow. I, I like the illustration that David Mathis 
uses in his book, uh, Habits of Grace. He, he says that uh, the spiritual disciplines, are, in this case being Bible reading, uh, is like flipping on a switch in the house. And when you flip on the switch, it, it opens up the pathway for the electricity to flow through, lighting up the room, bringing the energy into the house. Right? The, the, the scriptures or the Bible reading is, is, a, is a God-ordained means of grace, a, a way that God will bring grace to the Christian to strengthen them and comfort them, correct us and guide us through life. By flipping on the switch, we're opening up the gates and saying, God, come, bring your grace. Let it flow. Let it light up the room of, of my heart that I may live and walk through the world today. I, I like that picture. That's what Bible reading is meant to be. It, in no way causes God to like us more. Only the gospel can do that. But it opens up the pathway for God's grace to flow through it. Now, of course, there's other ways that that happens, right? There's prayer. There's the uh, fellowship of the saints as we gather. Uh, but even in those things, it's not apart from Scripture, which is why many will put Bible reading as the number sort of on, on the top of the list in terms of our need for that spiritual discipline. But the thing is, it's not just our, just our intuition, right? We actually know this from Scripture as well. Uh, we'll use... Uh, Jessica's trick, if you want to keep your finger there, you can keep your finger in Psalm 1. Just go back to Deuteronomy 8 real quick. Let's see, actually hear God uh, proclaim this to us, this reality. Deuteronomy 8, fifth book of the Bible, somewhere around page 215 or so in my book. Deuteronomy 8. Uh, Deuteronomy is a book uh, that the people of Israel had just wandered the wilderness for 40 years, and, and they're about to enter into the promised land. And, and Moses has a series of of messages for them, or the second giving of the law. In Deuteronomy 8, we'll just read verses 2 and 3, just so you can see this. Uh, God says to his people, And you shall remember the whole way the Lord, the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And here, here's the verse, verse 3. And God humbled you, and let you hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, so that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by, man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So notice here what God is saying in chapter 8, verse 3, about the hunger that the Israelites experienced. It was meant to be instructive. Now, if you read through, say, say, Numbers 11, it would be an example where the people of God complained about their hunger while they're wandering in the wilderness. They complained to God, and God provides manna for them. You read Numbers 11, and you, you get an incredible picture of God's mercy to his people. The people grumble, and yet God extends grace to them. That, that is mercy, right? He doesn't wipe them off the face of the earth. He gives them mercy. We see an incredible picture of God's power of provision. They're out in the wilderness. Where are they going to get food for Thousands and thousands and thousands of people. I mean, God's power is on display in Numbers 11. Uh, bringing manna from heaven to feed his people daily was, was meant to communicate that, that to his people. Right? God's character. But Deuteronomy 8 tells us there was something else that that was supposed to represent, or what it's supposed to teach them. The hunger pains of their belly was actually meant to be instructive to them. 
So as, as they're hungry, as they're wandering the wilderness, and they long for food, as their belly, uh, so to say, is, is crying out, saying, give me something to eat or I'm going to die. Don't you realize I can't live another day like this? As their hunger keeps screaming at them, it's meant to be instructive. And here, this, this passage says, the link we have to see is God says, that hunger that I let happen in your belly to, to scream at you, your body saying, body, give me some food so I live, is meant to point to you to a greater reality. It's the reality that your soul needs the word of God. And without the word of God, your soul shrivels up in the same way your body would shrivel up if you don't eat food. You see, this is God's proclamation, that God's people, they need God's word if they are to grow spiritually healthy, if they're to survive and be healthy, nutritious. Or, you know, Peter uses a similar picture in his first letter. After he's talked about how the word of God, the God's salvific word has come and caused the church to be born again, and that word has been proclaimed to you, God's word, he then says, now you, like newborn babies or newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk so that you, by it you may grow in your salvation. Again, it's this, it's this picture. If you've, if you've ever been around a baby when they're hungry, it's quite the, the uh, picture here. It's quite the fiasco. It's, it's, it's dramatic, right? They will scream, they'll claw at their face, they crane, they kick, they yell, give me the milk. This is just intuitive. The baby knows this. If I don't get the milk, we're dying over here. And Peter says, look, if you've, you were born again by that word of God, don't think now you move on to something else. The Christian, if you were to grow in that salvation that you already have, you're not the word of God's not going to, your uh, Bible, you know, going, going to the scripture's not going to now, uh, you're not going to be reborn again or something. Like, you've already been born again by that powerful word. Now grow up in that salvation by staying and feeding from that same word. And we could go to other places. I just want you to see that God himself, this is the claim that God makes about his word, that we absolutely need his word if we are to be strong and healthy. Of course, we could also go to statistics for a testimony of this. Uh, they've done different studies. Uh, one recently in 2019, they did studies just on uh, what predicts health in Christians or spiritual health. And of course, at the top of the list there, one of the, one of the main predictors is consistent Bible reading of God's people. In 2016, they, they interviewed parents of, about their children who are now young adults, and they discovered uh, this probably are well, well aware, that uh, roughly half of the, the young adults that were raised in Protestant uh, church-going homes uh, do no longer practice the faith. Not, not that they actually were true if, if, if they walked away or something like that, but the reality is they're, they're not practicing the Christian faith in young adulthood. And so the question is why? So they're doing these studies, what happened? Why are half of them walking away? They were in solid homes, they were in solid churches, but yet now they're not practicing the faith. What happened? And uh, in the study, they discovered in 2016 that the number one predictor of whether or not a, a child will grow up and actually continue walking with God or practicing the Christian faith is not having good friends. That's not the number one predictor. It wasn't going to a nice school. It wasn't having a good moral code. It wasn't 
refraining from certain movies or making sure you're listening to, to the right music? You guessed it, is that the kids learned when they were younger, they read their Bible regularly. That was the number one predictor of whether or not someone will grow to be spiritually healthy as a young adult. Now, statistics are, you know, one, one thing, right? But it's at least worth listening to. Uh, and now, what's interesting with that is, I, you know, I find um, when, when we struggle, like, spiritually, right, to grow or just feel healthy, or when we're looking at other people or interacting with others, where we feel like that they're, they're not growing, and we try to assess that and kind of what do we do, how do we work this out, it seems to me that oftentimes we run to so many other solutions, right? Maybe we need a new program. Or maybe we need a new class. Let's make sure that we do classes on, you know, parenting or classes on this or that. Or, you know, the young people, maybe they, maybe they really need some more Christian apologetic courses. So when they go off to university, they, they know how to answer their atheist uh, friends and their atheist uh, professors. They, they need more Christian apologetics. That's what they need. Or, you know, maybe they, they need to make sure that they, 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 don't, they don't hang around with those kids. Or, or maybe, maybe we need to have some more discussion groups and talk about the, the issues of society and all these things. And because, or maybe we, you have to dig into your past and figure out what's going on and like the hard conflicts of life right now. And if we could sort through all that baggage, then, then you can move forward. We, we just tend to look to all these other things when it seems the answer is actually right before us. It's the scriptures that are meant to grow us. All those things are totally fine. I'm not trying to knock them and say we shouldn't do them. The question is, is do we hold up the scriptures and make sure that that is the number one? It's the number one predictor. Is it the number one solution that we are pursuing? Now, again, I'm, I'm guessing none of this is earth-shattering. I'm, I'm guessing, I'm, I'm guessing I haven't said anything that you're like, wow, I never even thought of that. Wow, God's word is powerful? Like, we know this. But we struggle. Yeah? Here's a quote from uh, Donald Whitney uh, in his uh, book, uh, practicing the spiritual disciplines for the Christian life. Here's what he says. After he's just talked about the, the importance of Bible intake for the Christian, he says this. However, many who yawn with familiarity and nod in agreement to these statements spend no more time with God's word in an average day than do those people with no Bibles at all. My pastoral experience bears witness to the validity of the surveys that frequently reveal that great numbers of professing Christians know little more about the Bible than third world Christians who possess not even a shred of scripture. Some wag, I think that, I think that word means like jokester, some wag remarked, some wag remarked that the worst, uh, the worst dust storm in history would happen if all church members were, who were neglecting their Bibles <laughs> dusted them off simultaneously. <laughs> now, I, I find that quote interesting because it starts with, you know, this, we yawned with familiarity. <sighs> yeah, we know that. And yet, we struggle with it. 
Now, I, I wish I wish I could like call up Donald uh, Whitney here today and say, you know, I, your your quote's wrong. It's not true. We're at a different age. You wrote that book in '91. We've moved on, bro. It's just, it's just. <laughs> if anything, I fear that it's actually worse. The stats just keep getting worse. Now, if you want to test this, one, one, way, one way you can test it is, you know, you just, as you're with one another, just ask people about things, life. Ask, ask about hobbies, things that you've been thinking about. You know, ask about the, the latest sport that they're working on or the latest YouTube channel that they're starting. And I'm picking on myself here. Or the, the, the recipe, you know, maybe someone's got a uh, hobby of recipes or art or music. And what you'll discover is that when you tap into someone's hobby, that they spend a lot of time thinking about that. And they will carve out things in their schedule to make sure they can get that in there. And then ask them about Bible reading. And you'll quickly discover there's a ratio that doesn't seem to line up quite much. As much as us saying, yeah, we totally agree. God's word is an absolute necessity for my soul. Just the reality, we don't carry that out. It's, it's what we would call, like, it's lacking a functional belief. Right? We, we, can, we have a confessional belief. We, we agree with it. We know it. But functionally, it doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't actually stir me to action. For example, I, uh, I have long believed that uh, it would be very fun and I would survive to do the one chip challenge. If you've heard of this, it's the world's hottest chip. It's just one chip. You buy the one chip, I think it's like, it's like $20, $25 for this chip. But it's supposed to be excruciatingly painful and it looks like a ton of fun. Now, I think it would be fun to videotape it, to be able to show the kids later and if God grants us grandkids to show what what a fool grandpa was and still is, right? Now, I really believe that would be fun. It would be painful, but I would survive. But that's a confessional belief. It functionally, it hasn't actually done anything. I still have yet to do it. And it's not until I actually do something and let it have, it, have its effect on me and move me as it actually becomes a functional belief. And so that's what we want to continue to move towards. That's what we must move towards as the people of God. We must be people who have regular, consistent Bible intake so that we would be healthy and enjoy God uh, through this year. Now, you, you can say it that way. We must pursue consistent Bible reading, or you can say it even perhaps better. We can pursue consistent Bible reading. Let us again remember who, who we are as a people for you who are blood-bought, you who have placed your faith in Christ and have been born again, you are a changed people. You may not be who you will be one day. That is yet to come. But you're also not who you were. And you've been given new eyes to see and behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's put in there by God himself. You're a changed people, a renewed people. You've been given a new heart. You've been given the Holy Spirit. And that's great news because that means we can actually have some confidence in opening up the scripture that God will continue to, as we flip on the switch, to pour through his grace uh, into 
our lives. Now, I, what I, one of the things I know is that if you're born again, there is a flame in your belly for a desire to read God's word. It may be just a little flicker today, but it's there. And for some of you, it might be a burning inferno, and bless the Lord. And for most of us, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a roller coaster, right? It, it, it's up, it's down, we have spiritual highs, we have spiritual lows, it's hard. But it's there. There's this little flame. And may God help fl- fl- uh, stir it up, fan it into flame uh, today and, and into the new year. What I want to just do for the rest of the, the sermon here. I've, over the years, I've collected a list of helps for people to grow in cultivating consistent Bible reading. Uh, currently, I have 42 helps. Well, we won't do all of them, but uh, we'll, do, we'll do most of them. No, just kidding. I brought 11 today. I, we'll just do as many as we can. Uh, I'm going to stop at a certain point, and we'll just see how far we can get. Uh, I categorize them into three categories. The first one is expectations. Setting the, the, the help, helpful expectation, have the right mindset as you enter into uh, gr- trying to grow in consistent Bible reading. So the expectations. The second one, I have eight of those. Uh, then I have eight motivations. Learning how, to, how, how do we actually motivate our heart. There's unhealthy ways, un- unhelpful ways to motiv- try to motivate ourselves. And there's helpful ways. So there's eight helps that are in that category about how, how do we motivate our heart in ways that are helpful. And then there's 26 that are uh, more in the category of like on-the-ground action things that you can do that can, can help you uh, to cultivate more consistency in Bible reading. So that's what we'll do. We'll see how far we get. We'll, we'll, we'll do two expectations, one mindset, and then as many on-the-ground ones as we, as, as we can do. But the first one, uh, expectation, is very simply uh, this, that we should recognize that the struggle to be consistent, is normal. Now, the reason why this is going to be helpful is oftentimes when we struggle in this area, we tend to look around and think that you're somehow unique. Like, you're the one that keeps missing the boat and everybody else, you know, like we are sort of this Instagram, Facebook culture where we, we tend to think everybody else has it good and everybody else is, is sort of still figuring this out, and they don't have kind of the, the highs and lows that you do, and it's not really that, that hard of a big of a struggle for them. But newsflash, it is a struggle. For most of God's people, reading God's word consistently is hard, and they have these ups and downs. Uh, listen to the, some, some of the words from Psalm 119, which the whole psalm is the longest chapter of the, of the Bible, and the whole psalm is really focused around God's word. Listen, I just grabbed a couple of his statements, uh, how he cries out to God. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. Let my soul live and praise you and let your rules help me. Now, I'm using a little bit of a tone there. I I don't know exactly how the psalmist would say all that. But one in particular, I think that verse 36 there, incline my heart to your testimonies and not towards dishonest gain. 
I, I think the psalmist here, he has a wrestling and he's, he's demonstrating a wrestling. My heart is often inclined towards dishonest gain. God, turn that around for me. Turn my heart to, to yearn for your testimonies. I'm so quickly pulled in the other direction. God, turn my heart. I, I hear the psalmist wrestling. And God, do something in me. Turn this heart upside down. Turn it backwards. Move it towards your way. I love that. That's inspired scripture. That's an author of God's word helping us to hear. What does it look like to cry out to God when I feel my heart going this way? Read my Bible, pick up my Bible, dust it off. I don't know. I want to go this way. God, incline my heart towards your testimonies. Please move it in your direction. All right? The New Testament authors also use the imagery of the Christian life or faith as this battle. Out of the 21 New Testament letters that are written, 14 of them use at least one time some sort of imagery of like the Christian life is like a race that you're running or it's a boxing match or it's a battle and you know, put on your armor. This is the fight. Why do we think that the Christian or the authors of Bible the Bible, you use that imagery. It's to help us know that the Christian life is war. Not against people, but against what's going on in our own souls. How quickly we're tempted towards other things other than God. So we got we got to fight. Or the Apostle Paul, near the end of his life, says, but I've, I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. There's two images. I've fought the fight. I've, 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 I've run the race. I've, I've finished the race. And if you ask Paul, like, well, what's the fight? What was the race? It's the very next line. I've kept the faith. That was a battle, Timothy. I'm going home to the Lord. It was a battle till the end. It was a race to the end. And I think they would all stand with us and say, yeah, keeping my nose in God's word was a battle too. It's a fight all the way to the end. Again, I just think that's a helpful as we think about it, expectations, I should not think, oh, yeah, well, if I, if, if I really love God, reading my Bible would just be, I would wake up, and the first thing I'd be like, I cannot wait to open up God's Word. It's just not a reality. I think most of us will struggle, and it's helpful to have that expectation going in. Second expectation I would point to is, I would say, lower our expectations for these moments and heighten our expectations over the long haul. What I mean is, uh, we, we are this instant culture, or instantaneous culture, right? We have microwaves, most of us. If you did oatmeal, most of us make oatmeal in the microwave versus over the stovetop. Right? We, we like things fast, and we expect things fast. We expect results. We're efficient. We love efficiency. So we, when it comes to Bible reading, we tend to think that if I'm really doing this right, I read, read the Bible and out pops this experience. It's like a vending machine. I put in 50 cents, and I guess it's not 50 cents anymore. Put in 80, $83, and boom, here's my candy bar. <laughs> it's, we, we expect some sort of result. We expect, expect some sort of experience. Now, now, that could be because you hear other people talk about it. Could be because just this, for some reason, we have this perception that that's what true good Bible reading is. Uh, but I would say, I just think that expectation should come way, way down. 
In my experience personally, uh, most of my Bible reading, if you were to read the Bible with me, you would probably experience that most of my reading is fairly mundane. I, I'm usually, when I open up the scriptures each day, I'm not learning something new that I'm, oh, wow, I've never seen that. I'm not having some internal like, whoa, I can't, that was amazing. I can't, I'm, I'm going to remember this for the rest of my life. Most of it is this daily drip, drip, drip. And years ago, as Danik and I started reading the Bible together, that was one thing that, uh, according to what she had said, w was helpful to her. At least I think she said that. No. Well, anyways, it went like this. Like it, it, she saw after time, you know, I had been through seminary and I was, I'd done a lot of teaching. I think I was pastoring by this point, and you know, so she, I think, had this image that uh, I had these really powerful Bible times. And then we start reading the Bible together, and she saw me day after day, just kind of be like. All right, well, let's, we should probably wrap up here. And she's so like, that's it? That's all, you, that's all you got? Who are you? You know? And, and it's helpful to see, like, a lot of Bible reading isn't spectacular. But over the long haul, it's amazing and builds the Christian to be strong. So if you go back to Psalm 1, now, I think this is just such a lovely place to uh, the picture that he gives us here. Uh, just this, this imagery in verse 2 through 4. When he says, but, but his delight, uh, the, the blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which, that yields its fruit in its season. His leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers, and then he contrasts it with the wicked. They're not so, but they're like chaff that the wind drives away. The, the picture is meant to, 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 to paint both uh, fruitfulness and stability. The wicked aren't like that. They're, they're like the chaff, or in our day in the city here, it would be like that paper, uh, plastic bag from, from you know, Walmart or whatever, floating down the, down the road from the wind. It's got no stability. Just whoosh, wind comes, there it goes, but not the tree. The tree is planted by streams of water. It yields its fruit in its season. It's always fruitful. It's the stable, stable, stability. Now, how do trees become like that? Did it happen because you planted it and boom, instantaneously? Or maybe it took a week? No, it takes decade after decade after decade of drip, 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 drip. Most of it's not exciting. But you know, as you walk down the street uh, on the sidewalk, you notice sometimes you, you see those sidewalk blocks that somehow they get pushed up by what is it? Tree roots. The roots of a tree can lift, lift cement blocks. Now, how many of us do you think it would take to lift a cement block? I mean, that's incredible. Or the roots of trees can ruin foundations of houses. And they grow like that just by drip, drip, drip. Nothing exciting. And that's why I love this imagery. The, the, the Christian grows to be stable by just this normal drip, 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 and that's how God builds his people and grows his people. So we have to have that expectation. Lower, lower the kind of the, the, the golden nuggets 
For sure you'll have them. If you, if you consistently read your Bible through the year, I'm sure God will teach you things. You'll have moments where, man, God really comforted my heart that this today. Or God corrected me today. Or I, I saw something today I didn't heard. You're going to have those moments. I'm not saying we should ever, never expect it. But lower that expectation. But heighten the expectation of what, what does it look like if I did this for the course of the next 30 years? What would God do in my heart? I mean, if you read just five minutes a day, on average, that will give you a chapter, a chapter of the Bible, okay? Five minutes. If you did that every day, in three years, you will have read through the whole Bible, okay? That, 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 that's not, never increasing more than five minutes, five minutes in a day. Gets you through the Bible in three, three years. What if, you know, I, I got a daughter who's 12, and is trying to do this, but what if she did that for the next 30 years? She'd be 42 at the age of my wife. She will have read the Bible 10 times at that point. Now, I can guarantee you that sort of drip, drip, drip is going to have an impact. It's not going to happen overnight, but it will build something deep like tree roots that are, can stand and be stable in this unstable world. And so... Expectations, bring them down for the moment. So let's not expect that. You're not doing anything wrong if you're not seeing immediate growth or some kind of experience. But let's increase our expectation over the long haul. All right, number three, uh, motivation. How do we motivate our hearts? Uh, I think one of the best ways is to remind our hearts uh, of the promises of God concerning his word for his people, or to say it, uh, the idea that uh, to remind our hearts what God promises his word will do in the life of God's people. Now, I have at least 14 verses. Oh, I'm not going to go through. I'm only going to do one. 14 promises in God's word about God's word that God will do in the life of his people. One is right here in Psalm 1. You saw three others in Psalm 19. Psalm 1 here again. He's like a tree planted by the streams of water that he who delights in the law of the Lord meditates on the law, uh, on, on his law day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, yields its fruit in its season, his leaf does not wither. He's stable. He's stable in this un, unstable world. Now, I, I think one of the things that can really help us is to tr try to get a, a good picture, a good illustration of, okay, help, help me to know what a strong, stable tree is. Okay. Uh, and then continue to keep that before. God, grow me like that tree. Help me to be like that tree as I just soak in your word again and again and again. I know I'm not making myself right with you by opening up your word today. But I trust that promise that you're going to make me like a tree. So have, have a good imagery of a tree. Where does a tree impress you? I mean, Maybe there's a tree, you know, you could go, go down to Grant Park. You see these Trees growing right along the, the, the edge of the, it's, I guess it's not a cliff, but it's sort of like a cliff, right? And their roots go down deep, they're kind of coming out of the hill, and they're trying to go all the way down to the water. Or you go to Devil's Lake, you can watch trees kind of, it's like they come out of the rocks all of a sudden somewhere on the side of the wall. It's just powerful. Or you, you, can, you can walk in certain uh, parks around here, and you can see trees actually, uh, it's, it's like they grew through the fence. Have you seen this before? There's like a fence running right through the tree. How in the world does that happen? It's not impacted by a fence at all. I mean, if you put a fence through me, I'm in trouble. You know? It doesn't affect the tree. 
My favorite illustration, you've probably heard uh, this one, uh, is, it's, a, it's the tale of two car accidents that happened outside our house. So there's one car accident. I was sitting uh, on the kitchen table, and I'm doing something, and I hear, <laughs> I look outside, and I saw a car uh, going about 20 miles an hour, kind of skidding out about 20 miles an hour, and hit the light pole in front of our house. And instantly, when that car hit that light pole, <laughs> just the light pole was done. Had no chance. I mean, we're talking about a heavy metal box hit, hitting it at 20 miles per hour. I mean, that's some serious uh, force there. The light pole can't stand up to that. Rewind a couple years before that, in the middle of the night, uh, we hear there's a high-speed chase going through our neighborhood. There's a truck, so not a car. The first one was a car. This one's a truck. And uh, going 70 miles per hour, running from the cops, and hits uh, one of our neighbor's trees. Uh, the, the driver flew out of the truck and was instantly killed. That's the sad part of the story. Um, but the tree, you drive past that tree today still? You know what that tree looks like? <laughs> Trucks mean nothing to me. Could have brought it 90, wouldn't have touched me. There, there was a little bit of bark missing from the tree. <laughs> 70 miles per hour, a truck hit it. And the tree is still standing years later. God, make us like that tree who can stand against the wind and the waves of, the, of life and be stable. And God says, you want to know where that happens? It's not in a good education. It's not having a good, nice bank account. It's not having a nice career. It's not making sure you have the right friends. It's having a life in the scriptures. That's what God promises. May God give us the grace to pursue it. Now, if you want other passages, I, I'm glad to give them to you. Well, Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9 is a really nice place to go. It causes, God says that his word will cause the heart to rejoice. If you want your heart to rejoice, God says, my word will do that for you. It's not the new relationship that you're longing for. That can't do it, but, but I can through my word. Or it will make the, the, the simple wise. If you want wisdom, my word will do that for you. It will revive the soul. You want reviving? My word will do that for you. And there's other verses we could go to. So that's uh, some expectations, some motivation. Let's just go on to some on-the-ground uh, tips. i got three minutes by the time I'm supposed to be done here. Maybe, maybe this will just be part one. It'll be a 22-part series. <laughs> um, so uh, th this is probably obvious, but have, have a reading plan. Right? Winston Churchill and others have said things like this, but he who fails to plan, plans to fail. You've heard that one? He who fails to plan, plans to fail. And so having a plan can be super uh, helpful. Um, a plan, though, we have to remember, uh, some sort of a reading plan is meant to serve us, not to enslave us. Right? So a lot of times that, that plan is like this cloud hanging over you, shouting at you, obey me. And we, have, we have to keep putting ourselves over as our, my dog always tries to dominate me and put her leg over me. And I always got to, no, and then I, I go over her like this, say, no, no, I'm on the alpha here, girl. Right? So we've got to tell our plan, I'm the alpha. You're here to serve me. Right? That's what the plan is meant to do. A plan is meant to serve us. Now, there's a lot of plans out there. I have like 17, I think it is, on my drive. And there, there's, some are different, some are similar. 
Uh, you know, if you want to go all the way through the Bible in a year, there's plans for that. I mean, one of the most historically popular one is the McShane Bible reading plan. That'll take you through the New Testament twice, the Psalms twice, and the Old Testament once. Uh, it's intense. It's an intense one. Uh, so you're going to read a lot. It's about four chapters a day. There's others that are three chapters a day. That'll take you through the whole Bible in a year, uh, rough, roughly. Uh, you can get some that are just taking you right from Genesis to Revelation. You can take some that take the, the Hebrew order or our order. You can get uh, some that are going to take you through chronologically, where you get when you get into the kings and it'll insert the prophets at the right place. And when you get into Acts, it'll insert the letters. When, you know, when Paul goes to visit Philippi, then you'll read the book of Philippi, uh, Philippians, things like that. You can read these chronological ones. You can read the ones that, that are uh, based off genre. So every, every day of the week, you're reading a different genre type. So uh, like I'm doing this one with one of our daughters this morning was the epistles. And then tomorrow, I can't remember, but tomorrow's the prophets. And then the next day is the gospels. And then it's the law. And you're just, you're just set, uh, going different orders. Now, you have to kind of know some of the goals of some of those plans and how they're formatted, how they're helpful for you. They're going to be helpful for different people. You can change them through the years. There's a, but the point is, there's a lot of plans. You want to find something helpful for you. You don't have to read through the Bible in a whole year either. We want to be kind of, let, let's, let's, Make sure it's possible. I mean, if you just want to, we're going to be preaching through Mark two weeks out. You could read the book of Mark. And you don't have to read three chapters a day. You could read one story a day. That may be a paragraph. And that's it. It, does, it doesn't have to be flashy. It doesn't have to be super long. But the idea is to have some sort of a plan. Know where you're headed. That will actually, that, that would be a strong help for you. So you're not just kind of wandering aimlessly. Um, and then, I'll, I'll, since I'm out of time here, let me just say one more. Uh, if you're, if you're going to try to, like, you know what, I really want to grow and read my Bible. I, I trust the promises of God. I, w- I want to have some sort of a plan. If, if you need a plan, I, or I'm sure many people around here would love to talk to you. Talk to people in your small group. What are their plans? Just come up with something, right? It doesn't have to be long. If you don't do it all right now or once a week, say, I'm going to do five minutes a day. That's it. It doesn't have to be long. And get it started. You're, you're trying to take a snowball and get it started down the hill so that eventually it turns into this big, massive snowball, right? That's it. Just start small. We're going to trust that it'll grow uh, over the years. But one way to actually help the, uh, the habit or make it habitual, uh, they say they've done all these studies now, is to consider some sort of a reward. Our, our hearts, we crave enjoyment, right? And so if there's some way that you can make Bible reading sort of enjoyable... I shouldn't say sort of enjoyable. That sounds wrong. If you can make it enjoyable, that can be a huge help to you because our bodies and our hearts are wired towards that. So, example, let's say you have certain pens you really love. Like, use them in your, in your Bible, right? Or let's say you love coffee or a certain tea or a certain coffee creamer. Say, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to use that for my Bible reading time. It, it's going to start teaching your heart and your mind. Say, you know what, that... I like that experience because I get to experience that. Maybe there's a spot in the house that you really like or a certain blanket you really like to have or like a certain scent and you always use that essential oil or a certain, a, like a, a certain look in the house and you say, I'm, I'm going to do that. I, I don't know, whatever. Just try to find some way. How do I motivate my heart su- such that it sort of gives this reward? That can be daily like a pen or a coffee or something like that. Or it can be, uh, if, if I finish this goal, I'm going to try to get through the book of Mark in two months. 
when I do that, I'm going for a concrete mixer. <laughs> Best ice cream out there, or custard, excuse me. Well, there we have it. We're going to have to wrap up there. Uh, if you want the other, whatever it is, 37, uh, feel free to come talk to me. We'll go have some coffee and uh, we'll work through it. But let, let's close as we turn to the Lord's uh, table. And let, we'll remember as we partake of the Lord's Supper today, to, we'll, we'll confess where we have neglected to uh, move forward in trusting in the Lord and his word, where we've chased after other things to find our joy and hope and stability. We confess that to the Lord, knowing that the, 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 the broken body of Jesus has paid the full penalty for our sin. We are free. We are God's people, not because of our Bible reading, but because of the Lord Jesus. Uh, and also remembering uh, that we, we do look forward. One day that the battle, the struggle, will actually be over. You know, one day, I, one day we actually will read God's word and never struggle with it. That will be amazing. You'll never, you'll never be tempted to, to just put it off or distract yourself with the latest thing. But you will actually be interested all the time. That will be amazing. And we'll trust God's grace to help us uh, through the year. If you're a follower of Christ and you are seeking to walk in repentant faith, we invite you to join us this morning. If you're here this morning and you're not walking with Jesus uh, in repentant faith, uh, then we ask you not to partake. Uh, so we'll come now, grab the elements, and then return and partake together. If you're here this morning in uh, having a consistent life of Bible intake, uh, I want you to know that uh, none of this is meant to be sort of shame on you, wagging the finger. Uh, it's, it's for us to know that uh, we, we are facing the facts of where we're at. Uh, some of us are stronger in Bible reading, but not good in prayer or other areas. We all struggle. And the good news is uh, that none of, the, none of pursuing this makes us right with God. Christian, you are right with God and loved by God today, regardless of how you did in your Bible reading last year or how you do this year. You may do amazing and God will not love you more. And you may do terrible and God will not love you less. The Lord loves you and welcomes you into the family, not because of you, but because of his son. And that is great news. You are fully and forever cleansed from your sins, believer. For the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And having given thanks, he broke it, saying, this, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What a great gift we've been given, believers. The Lord Jesus spilled his blood for us to bring us back to the Father, to secure us a home. The inheritance is ours, and we look forward to being in that city one day. And until then, we trust that God will give us the grace to continue to run forward in faith. For the Lord Jesus, in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup, it is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me.